Hello and welcome to the Game Dev Grip Podcast episode. I don't know because it's been like 20 months since we did an episode, but um, thank you to Meryl for reminding me that there's a podcast. So here's a new episode. So why don't you tell us what you've been up to since the last episode you're on where you're talking about your game you just finished. So last uh, time I was on, that was that was the first game that uh, I had made, like trying to take on a full size project. And since then, I did uh, a bunch of small little things with uh, game jams, just trying to spread out my skill and get more into things. Uh, and in the last jam I did, I just worked really well with the team that I had created, and they were both really active and into it and giving me a, a constant stream of assets. And after we finished the jam game, we got ranked number two out of, I think, 71 people for enjoyment. And we said, hey, let's just keep working on this. And so now we have our game Hit the Brakes, which is a shoot 'em up style type of game where you can pause time. Okay. And so after looping through, so you did a couple smaller projects, right? After the, the tank game? Yeah. Yeah. After uh, Super T34, um, I did something that was based around procedural generation because I didn't get that much into randomness yet. So mm -hmm. it was uh, randomly made levels with AI that could figure it out. And I even made a randomly generated music. That was fun. Yeah. So going through those loops, what did you pick up like what changed in your process from doing those small games like what 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 have you, what have you learned uh, so um i i did uh two games other than the one that uh we continued work on uh versus that that random generation one which really changed my my point of view on random generation because coming from music automated processes people get real snobby about they're like oh, you're not really making part of the art and so I, I think I brought some of that bias with me when I first moved over to, to programming and dev in general. Uh, and that's just not the case at all. Um, then with the next game, Cult Mystery, that game was uh, that game was not an action game. And that was the, the first time I had really toyed around a bunch with that. And um, so that, that showed me a lot of uh, UI, honestly, because when when it's not an action game, your players have a lot more relaxed eyes. And so when you need them to notice something, you really got to make sure you know how to grab their attention. Okay. So like a lot of design fundamentals would uh, be a part of that. Like, for sure. Yeah. And for uh, anybody else that hasn't read it, I just want to know if you haven't read the book, um, The Design of Everyday Things. I think that's the name of the book. Let me look it up. It's like the design book. Um, I didn't go to design school, but yeah. <laughs> The Design of Everyday Things. If you want to read one book on design, that's a really good one. So just side note, sorry. No, no, it's it's good. And I haven't read that book, but it's it's a lot about just like, it, it, the, the title is very self-explanatory, but it goes into the, the fine detail of why things are the, the weird things that they are. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that, that really struck me, because, you know, I came from film and animation where it's just right. like, this is my intention if you don't get it, oh, I guess it's my fault too. But what I found in game design a lot is that like, I'll see people test their games and I'll test them and I'll be like, oh, I didn't understand this. And they'll be like, oh, it's supposed to mean this. And they they talk to me like it's my problem. But when you yeah, read- Yeah, it's like, no, it should have, it was yeah. your job to make it a game that was easy to play. Not easy to play, but easy to start playing. 
yeah, in the design of everyday things, he talks about doors. He goes like, if you go and pull on a door when you're supposed to push it, that's the door's design fault. It's not yours. Right, right. So I think that's an important thing. I think for, if you're doing anything interactive, whatever, is just like, hey, if they don't get it, that's my problem. I need to fix it. You know. Exactly. You you are responsible for getting people to care about your stuff. Yeah, you got to make it make it easy for them. And when things are well designed like that, you want to use them because it feels like they thought of you and exactly. they care about you, you know? And so that that definitely taught me a lot of like UX and how important it is just overall, not just how something is um not just how like it looks with the UI, but also even just input. Um I was struggling to find a a good uh input for the game because I wanted it to be able to support controllers. Um, but I just couldn't find something that felt good on the keyboard in, in retrospect. Uh, uh, so what I ended up doing was I made the action buttons, the mouse click buttons, and the movement uh, uh, WASD or arrow keys. And I was really surprised. Like, even though you're not using the mouse to point at anything, you using the buttons uh, uh, in just a normal uh, uh, like uh, uh, control scheme as if you're replacing a controller works really well because they're very lightweight buttons that you can click super fast and easily. Yeah, and I mean, that's the power of PC games, right? So everyone's yeah, right, using yeah. a, a keyboard anyway, so it's like, I'm doing this all day. Um, are you still, because I know the T34 game, you were using Click Team Fusion, right? No, no, uh, that was what I had uh, come from. I, oh, I used okay. Godot Engine for Super T34 That's as well as all of the rest of my projects. I have started work in a different group doing uh, um, sound systems in the Unreal Engine, though. Okay. I was just looking at Godot because, um, you know, I use Unity, but they went public. And so then it's just like, let's make the shareholders happy and the engine's uh -huh. getting crappier. So. Is there anybody, so I was looking around for tutorials and stuff. Is there anybody, like a YouTube channel or any place you recommend oh, for Godot for sure. stuff? Um, the guy, uh, uh, GD Quest, uh, which GD Quest. surprisingly doesn't stand for Godot. It stands for Game Dev Quest. But mm. uh, he's, he's super good, super informational. And from there, I think that's a great starting point because he does a bunch of uh, um, collaboration tutorials with other big people who I'd also recommend. So he's a great starting point because he'll show uh, uh, anyone interested in learning Godot everyone else in the community that's good to learn from. Okay. And so those the game jams, were those like Godot game jams or was it any engine? It was any engine. Uh, okay. It was just whatever game jam I could find. A lot of the time uh, uh, um, I find people you you can get someone to do a game jam with you if you're like, hey, look on Itch.io and just look at how many there are. And usually someone will be like, well, I like that theme. Yeah. How does the communication work? Because only, I think I've only done one game jam. It was just working by myself, but I'm just wondering. And that's real uh, different. So I had um, Cult Mystery and the game I'm working on now hit the brakes. I did both of those with a small team uh, and very different experiences. The first one, uh, Cult Mystery, I had two artists and both of them were, one of them was super new and I think the other one was just super busy. Because um, even with both of them, we, we still ended up uh, shipping with a bit of dev art. Uh, and so that, that kind of gave me a sour view of what working in a group might be like again. But I, I went ahead and gave it another go with Hit the Brakes and wow, the process is just so different when you have 
a, a dedicated 2D artist. And for, for Hit the Breaks, I had a, a dedicated uh, musician for the soundtrack. And it's such a different thing when you go, okay, I have this enemy programmed. Now I need the art for it to just go, hey, buddy, can you do that? And like two hours, there it is. It's just there while you could work on something else. And that frees up so much of your time. You really have to start thinking um, more about like the order in which you want to program things in because you can start working on complex systems really early without having to, to balance between uh, um, filling in art and programming and what else have you with the rest of the process. Yeah, what tools did you use to collaborate online? Were you using Discord or like, how did you do that? We just did it with Discord. Um, I, I don't know Git and I didn't want to try to learn it and also teach uh, two other people how mm -hmm. to use it. And we're using small enough files. Godot's very small. It's, it's, very, uh, uh, it's a very lightweight system. So I could just send the entire project uh, through a Google Drive link and they could open it up and that, that's that. It opens up fine and easy. And then for art and, and scripts and stuff, you're just dragging and dropping them in Discord. You have to create links for other stuff because you know they have yeah. that eight megabyte limit or whatever. Uh, just drag and drop. We're doing um, uh, pretty low res graphics, so it's not a, a tall order. Uh, on Discord, you can send uh, um, you know 32 by 32 sprites on Discord and not lose any of the the information or have Discord worry it's going to be over eight megabytes. <clears throat> oh, okay. So you said you weren't using Git, and I I think I agree. I'm pretty new to Git, but I've been using it for like a year maybe. But yeah, for artists, like if you're just an artist, I would assume it'd be kind of hard to try to show yeah. them how to do this, check this out, and then do this and that and. Um, so, and that isn't to say I don't use, uh, I, I don't back up my files. I make it a whole copy of, of, uh, my working folder, uh, and date it and, and set it off somewhere else. Cause Godot is very easy, uh, opening up projects. If you just have the uh, folder, you drop it in, uh, and tell, tell Godot where it is and it can open it up. Um, so making backups is, is super easy. Okay. And if you want or anyone else wants a real simple, you don't even have to use an online backup, but just a Git system like Git Kraken is yep. the <laughs> easiest one because you just go um, stage, stage files, and then you have a little timeline. And if you want to roll it back, you can do that. So it's a really, really easy, doesn't take any technical stuff to create your version control slash backup system. And I, I do plan on learning it eventually, but that's something for after this project. Um, yeah, it's just progress has slowed down on, but you know, I was using all these complicated poor man's backup things before, and I was <laughs> I was pretty much trying to recreate what Git does on its own on my own, <laughs> while I was monitoring these repositories and automatically, and it was just like, what is this? So you don't I'm need just, to do something that someone else has already done. Yeah, and Git cracking. <laughs> I mean when you add something to your project, you make some change that might break it, you know, you're scared. And so I know at least I am. So then, you know, I'll stage the stuff so I can always just roll it back easily. It just allows you to work more confidently. Um, no, for sure. Um, and that's a uh, looping back around, like working on a team. That's, that, that's a, a single sentence that puts it real well. It, it lets you work more confidently because it lets you focus in on just, uh, uh, just the, the programming side of things and the stuff that you do in the game engine and having that just pure amount of time that you can 
just work on the stuff that you were looking forward to it it gets you into a groove and you start uh and uh, starts up the creative flow yeah let's talk a little bit about the procedural thing because i thought it was interesting that you mentioned you're kind of looking down on procedural stuff coming from music and i look at it the ex different way because i came from making all handmade art <laughs> and in a game for me you know it's unless you make all the handmade art, it's so easy to run out of it. So I look at procedural generation as a step up, like, oh man, I'm lazy if I'm using handmade art, I need to make a procedural solution that it's leverages my handmade. Hearing how differently people think about uh, proc gen, because it's, it's always one side or the other. People will be like, oh man, procedural generation, I can't even wrap my mind around that. That's, you gotta be some, you know, good at math to do that. And then there's other people who are like, yeah, I mean, I know I didn't make the levels myself, but check this out with, that I made with procedural generation. And usually on both sides of it, you're like, dude, whatever you made, it's good. Like, that's, that's the important part is, is what, what are you making? Because it's, it's a tool. It's a means to an end, regardless of if you're hand drawing something, hand making something or, or making it procedurally. Yeah, the way I look at it as an artist, too, I look at it as it. I build stuff as an extension of myself. So when I do procedural generation, like I shipped a, a game that makes animations called Nightmare Puppeteer since we last did a, yeah, yeah. a podcast. And in that, that, on the Discord, I made a bunch of different pieces of art myself. And then I'm using my, my algorithms to piece it together. So it's like, for me, it seems like, oh, it's like I did 10,000 hours of work as an artist, but I really only did, you know, maybe 40. And then I allow no, the scripts sure. to do the rest. So um that's how i look at it so i i feel lazy if i just do it by hand and don't have all the insane variations that come through procedural generation you know no for sure and uh since then it's it, it made me realize like you don't have to have it one way or the either at all M mix it up as much as you want um and for hit the brakes like it's th there's a e even just in a single level like maybe half of it's handmade um, because once you learn that those two things aren't opposites, they, they can coexist together really well. And you have a lot more tools uh, available to you, uh, for your, for your whole project. Yeah. And it just, it stretches stuff, you know? So yeah. say, say you're making people and you had like a torso, you know, you did four different variations of torso art, but Hey, let's say you cut the torso into three pieces and just randomize them and put them together. Exactly. Hey, now, now you have 400 variations, whatever. So, um, let's see. Oh yes. Uh, um, for further on working with the team, uh, at least on a small team, something that, that I wasn't expecting to have happen, but did, and I'm glad it did is, uh, you end up learning from and, teaching uh, uh the other people in the group uh like the musician after she had finished uh pretty much all of the tracks for the game it was like hey how would you like to learn how to make levels and so i just spent like a couple hours with her showed her uh the basics of godot and i made some like really nice systems so it would be easy for her to plug in numbers into the uh the random level generator basically to to design uh ex basic experiences um, and since then, uh, she's, she made a couple of levels for the game. I uh, hadn't heard from her for, from a while. And then I heard back from her on it and she has been, uh, uh putting an, a bunch of time into something that could be a future like expansion pack or DLC. And so it's like, wow, 
we already have like the start of something more going and I didn't have to do anything but show someone how the program kind of works. Yeah. So did you build a level letter for it? Is that what you did? And she was not using it quite. Um, they still have to use uh, just the Godot editor, but mm -hmm. uh, Godot has like you can export variables and those are variables you can edit just on the editor, like the, the level editor screen. Um, and so I set up like uh, Boolean variables that show up as checkboxes for what types of enemies spawn, and they can put in a float number for how often they spawn, like the, the timer that they're set on. Um, and I showed them like, here's the information kept for how long the level is. Uh, if it's a, a if it's a special boss level, like here's the the variable you need to set, and they they all got it pretty pretty quickly. Okay, and the programming stuff too. Are is that new to you too? The in the last year or two or something? Yeah, I started. Um, I started to learn and like actually take seriously programming at the very start of this year, and I just kept doing it, and I I kept falling in love with it. Uh, and it, it got to a point where I said, hey, maybe doing this forever would be awesome. And so I'm actually uh just starting up. I'm on my fifth week now of going to college for computer science. Oh, that's right. Now I remember. Is it C-sharp you're doing in Godot or is it JavaScript or something? It's its own language called GDScript. That's uh, it's, it's very heavily based off of Python, though. Okay. So return and tab are actual commands that are part of the script. Okay. I wonder why they did that. That's weird. Like Unity used to have Unity scripts, pretty much JavaScript, and then what? Game Maker has Game Maker script too. Yeah, yeah. I think they call it Game Maker language. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think they did it just because. Uh, like Python's really approachable, and I think that's that's what Godot was trying to go for was ha having low level types of of game design approachable and also not setting a ceiling. Um, so it's you know it's it's a full programming language. It's it's uh, uh, you can do a whole bunch with it, but you also don't need to teach someone about curly brackets just to let them get a character moving on a screen. What's wrong with curly brackets? I love curly brackets. You love them. What happens when you forget them, though? But I never forget them. <laughs> well, not all of us got fucking iron memory there going on, so you'll have to forgive the rest of us. Yeah, people. I'm an alien because everyone's like, "Oh, Python, it's so awesome, it's so flexible," and I'm like, "I hate this flexibility. I need rigid <laughs> controls. I need to know what I'm doing." Um, I mean, I've learned a bit of C plus plus, so I, I know um, a, a bit of the differences, and I, I can certainly see why there's two different languages i mean they're co two completely different tools they they make you approach things in, in such different ways oh and i understand why you know if you're doing something for most creative people python makes perfect sense because it's super it's, flowy yeah so i'm like a technical creative person so it doesn't make that much sense to me that's what i learned when i went into game dev and programming i'm like oh i'm always been a technical person who did creative stuff rather than the other way around you know yeah yeah but thankfully, Godot has a C sharp. Uh, yeah, uh, they part. have mono support. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I installed that on mine. So. Well, hey, you'll have to uh, send me a message sometime and let me know how it goes. And if you got any questions, I can probably help you. Oh, cool. It's yeah. Different languages, but that's just the syntax. They still pull all the same functions. I'm gonna ride the Unity wagon until the wheels fall off when they start doing <laughs> the dumb shit for their shareholders and then all you know that's so why i want to learn um, godot slowly so 
if yeah, I leave Unity, sure. I'm like, oh, I know how to use this thing. Well, hey, if you do full down to Godot, at least you'll be making all of the money you make. Yeah, how does that work? It's it's an open source um, uh, program. They, oh, okay. So you could even sell Godot. That's legal. You could package it up in a CD and sell it to someone, and there's nothing uh, against that because it's completely open source. Uh, and open code. So you can, if you know C++ and you say, hey, I wish Godot had this function, you can just throw it in there. Has any, that's cool, have, have any like studios, or because I imagine like you would get it, right? And they would create their own version of it for their in-house purposes and then... Uh, yeah, no, that's, I don't know for certain if that's happened, but I do know there have been a couple of studios that edited a bunch of uh, Godot and tried to throw on a bunch of bells and whistles and resell the the engine that way oh okay yeah when i was looking at it and then it, it was kind of like it seems like it's sort of like the wild west too because not everything is documented or this is kind of hard to find things like it's better documented than unreal i know that's not saying much but <laughs> is it because i installed yeah i installed unreal too and messed with it and i'm just like what am i doing <laughs> i i uh, it's such it's so upsetting working in unreal but is it anyways. because studios use it and they're like the dry, like, you know, they have their in-house stuff, they know how to use it. And so they kind of, you know, gave I it think to that's, them. that's basically it is most of, most of the people who need to learn Unreal are learning, are in an environment where they can be taught it, okay. where, where they have resources available to learn what all these functions do. So they don't need to make great documentation, documentation because it's, it's usually studios who are using Unreal. So they train their employees. And that's also an issue with the blueprints. You're saying yeah. it's like even hard to learn using blueprints and stuff? I, yes. I, I, I learned C++ a bit beforehand uh, just to prepare myself. And then it was like, oh, here's blueprints. And I'm like, I f this is, wh what is any of this? I, it's, it's not as clear to me as just, just text. Because like with programming text, you can follow such a, a clear flow. Um, but with, I don't know. It's it's just confusing hooking up all these these different wires and like trying to look up what a function does and you can't like get into the guts of it. Yeah, it doesn't have like tool tips. You can't hover over a node and yeah, type. no, exactly. It, um, it, it'll you know tell you what it does in vague terms, usually using a word that is unique to this function that you don't know, but. Yeah, you know what? I guess that's what's really hard about those node-based systems. Because, you know, with code, you hover over it and it goes to the API and you can just see yeah. what goes in, what goes out, how you can, in a code example. But with those, yeah, that You have be to be told directly or just plug into it until you figure it out. Yeah, I'm kind of love and hate with those node-based systems. I started with one and then um, there's like a lot of shader stuff now in Unity that uses those nodes. And I'm, I'm trying to get back into them. But uh, I, yeah, I prefer regular code for most stuff, except for basic state machines. I find like those node base right, right. are way easier for state machines. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, if you don't mind going back to uh, hit the brakes here. Um, so we, we had finished it for, we had finished off that jam version. It was well received, figured, hey, let's work on it some more. And we, we have been working on it hard. I. Uh, I was, it was to the point, because this was before I started school backup, so I still had a, um, not backup, for the first time, I, I had a decent amount of free time. And, I mean, there, there were days where it was, it was I, I woke up, 
got food and then I started programming and it would be that until I told myself it was too late and I needed to go to bed. Um, so lots of, of love and sweat poured into it. And finally we were at a point where like, Hey, almost the whole base game's done. It's time to start beta testing. And I was like, yes, this is, this is it. I can't wait to get some feedback. I can't wait to have, you know, some more work to do. Cause it was getting to the point where it's like just trying to find the rough spots to polish off. Uh, for, for the beta test. There was still lots more to put in for full release, but I was trying to make something that was a, a good release for a beta test so I could get experiential feedback, not just technical. You know, I, I don't want just a list of bugs. Um, I want to know if the game's fun. That's, that's the important part. Um, and so uh, as, as we're doing this, also putting up... Um, you know, all sorts of trying to get people into a Discord server to get some testers, uh, and just nothing was working. I make a whole trailer, I pay someone for uh, doing a nice voiceover for it, uh, release that out, get literally zero people from that. Um, and that was just kind of a crushing defeat, like putting a bunch of, of uh, uh, time into trying to learn how to market the game and put it out there and just not a negative experience just no experience so that was that was rough um and i'm i'm sure you've had times where it was just like you you kind of hit you, you ran out of steam and you just kind of had to take a step back and be like, man, I got to remind myself why I'm doing this. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say about all that. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the marketing thing, because, you know, I, I released, it's my first Steam game, Nightmare Puppeteer. And it's like, yeah. if you release a game on Steam and you don't have a publicist or whatever, does it get released? You know, like, <laughs> just nothing. Yeah, no, I, I understand that nothing. And it's, I mean the amount of eyeballs or comments, whatever, are directly, unless you're already an influencer or famous, yeah. whatever, are, is directly related to the number of hours you're spending every day just putting it out there and posting and trying to get all that stuff. So as a dev and if you're your own publicist, you know, then that energy, you know. Yeah, and with, with beta testing too, I, I was laughing at myself because it's like, I did the same thing. You know, I beta test a Nightmare <laughs> Puppeteer for, I think, two months. And it was like, wow. all right, yeah, I got all, you know, it's solid. Yeah, it's ready to go. Beta test, 8,000 bugs. <laughs> so, like, yeah, you think, you know, you got it you under think control. You're done, but you're not. But the thing I like about beta testing, it sucks at first because you're like, oh, fuck, this is broken and that, what the hell? But then... Once you've done it enough, and if you believe your beta testers are actually really going through the game right, rigorously, right. when you come to release, it gives you real real confidence because you're like, hey, they already put this through the paces. I know what has gone wrong in here. Yeah, I, so I know for sure. If and you're on the bubble, like if people out there feel like they don't want a beta test because they feel like I don't want my bugs to be exposed. I want to just you don't want to do that in release. No, no, you you want a beta test, and that's why it was so crushing for me to have no testers show up from all these this marketing because it's like how am i supposed to make the game better if there's no feedback you know yeah i didn't i didn't do it publicly i just asked some people i knew online you know? i had asked and like a few people and they they were all like yeah but i think everyone ha 
stuff came up, life happens. When you only have six people available to test, it's rough. The one person who did test it, I, I should note, me and the artist uh, tested the hell out of the game. Uh, doing multiple full plays through, just making sure like there's no major bugs. And then I started to implement uh, just a bit of the dialogue to give it that last bit of polish, and we put it out there. The single only person who tested the game, played it for like 15 minutes, found a game-breaking bug that was caused by the only thing I added, which was the dialogue, and then quit, and that was it. So I got 15 minutes of testing out of my beta. Yeah, you know, the thing is, like, I think I eventually had, like, 30 people testing, but really, it was really just two people who gave me the feedback. And there was one guy, I got the greatest tester ever, if there was, like, I don't know, maybe 50 issues submitted, he did, like, 40 of them. Wow. So, yeah. I, I'd say for a small thing, you just really need one tester who's going to be dedicated. And I even offered to pay him after because i was like dude thanks for finding all this stuff he didn't want to take the money but um i don't think you need that many you just need one or two who are They're really good. and i'm i'm so very thankful to our visual artist knifeless um because he does so much testing um he goes out of his way to test it uh it, it, it seems like it's on a whim but he'll just be like all right there's a, there's a new build out of, of Hit the Bricks. I'm just going to play this for like two hours and he'll have this huge list of bugs for me. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. This would have sucked to have someone else be like, yeah, you know, the car just disappears sometimes in the game. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, about the thing with the testing, it's like what I did, I didn't do that much. I've seen my friends games who have like an actual beta testing sheet. They want people oh, wow. to work through. But I asked specific questions. I was like, yeah can you test this, this, and this? I think there was like three things. And so I think it helps if you kind of give them some guidance as what to test, you know? What to look at, for sure. Because, you know, people overwhelmed. They just, well, I don't know what to do, what? Uh. So it's like, if you can have them have some things, some goals, you know, everyone's playing games with, and the games tell them what to do all the time. So maybe in the, maybe in the beta testing, you need to do that too. But um, yeah, marketing... Yeah, it's Sucks, not, <laughs> it's not like, I mean, you know, we probably all saw like the indie game, the movie and all that stuff that was, I don't know, what is oh, that? Oh, I don't really look at any of that stuff. Well, it's like 12 years old. I know that was one of the things that like, oh, started this whole indie thing. And it's like, oh, I just make a game and I'm on the front page of the Microsoft store. Like those things, they, they definitely <laughs> sell like just the dream of success more than they sell any information, I feel. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how much you could really learn from something like that. Sure, it might be fun to, you know, watch a movie about uh, in an in indie studio making it. Uh, but that's not going to yeah, I'm just do that for the entertainment. Yeah, it just gives a lot of people a lot of unrealistic expectations. Exactly, and, you know, exactly. I read a lot of stuff online and I see people, you know, putting their games out and like, I spent... 20 years of my life and no one's played it. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, so maybe there's something wrong with it. <laughs> it, it. It's just about like, so when I did my nightmare puppeteer, I really had zero expectations. I was just like, yeah, Let's I'll, see I'll, what happens. I'll do my best. I'm not going to be lazy about it. I'll do my best, but you know, I'm just like, Hey, I'm a nobody. I don't have any social media. So it's like, come on, you know, on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, beta testing, do it. 
it's painful, but then, yeah, it'll make you feel better because you don't want your first player. Because, I mean, yeah, you say you could get a new fan for your game, but it's like if you didn't beta test it and they get some crazy bugs, like they'll just never play anything you do ever again. You know, it's like, ah, forget about it. If in the first 10 minutes of a game, there's a game-breaking bug, I doubt that player's ever going to come back. They're, they're going to close that and be like, well, that sucks. Yeah. And it might be even that they intend to. They might be like, oh, it closed out. Well, I'll check back on it later. And well, that's that. You, you've lost the, the attention there. Yeah, maybe game devs eventually will have to go the way of like other software projects where you pay people to find bugs. <laughs> <laughs> like a dollar for every bug on an indie budget. <laughs> Oh man, that's gonna suck. Then we're gonna have like lawyers defining like what constitutes a bug. <laughs> like, no, no, that's not broken. That was that was a bad sprite. The artist drew that wrong. That's and that doesn't count as a bug. There's a game idea right there. <laughs> See? You'd be bug the lawyer. Identification. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's cool. So keep keep making your projects. And is there any other final stuff you wanna say from you know, since you were on the last podcast, what you learned going forward? Um, I mean, uh, certainly like, like I was saying, I, I got, I got pretty depressed after that. Um, also because of a couple other things, but there, there was like just a couple of weeks. I, I didn't touch the game. I tried not to think about the game and there was, the, I, I was dreading coming back to this dialogue bug. I, I had basically shoved it out of the way. I didn't fix it. So that way the beta could still be playable. But, um, so I came back to it. Uh, and I'm dreading this bug. I spent like a couple hours trying to bug fix it before I took my break and, and I couldn't get anything and I fixed it in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes. Like I came back, I sat down, I'm like, oh, it should be this way. I did that and it was it was good and going. <laughs> yeah, like the day before my Steam release date, someone found a bug and like I started sweating and so like, oh fuck, oh God, it's, oh, it's gonna take me weeks. I'm gonna have to postpone the release. Yeah, I fixed it like in two minutes. And I was like, uh -huh. oh, it's fine. But my body had already dumped all that stress. I'm like, ah. You were so, ready for it to be a crushing failure. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the thing with the getting depressed about stuff. I mean, you know, we all we put put our energy and stuff into our work. But it's like, I'm still pretty. I mean, I guess I've been doing games for a while now. But I read stuff like the first 10 or so you do. Like, don't expect anything from them. <laughs> yeah, no, it, exactly. It takes, you know, a lot of time. So I'm just like, yeah, the faster you can get through those projects. They say that about movies, too, when you're making movies. It's like, your first movie is going to be terrible. Your second movie, like, you know, make 10. And then maybe you'll know what you're doing and you'll the figure it all out. The first few learning experiences. Yeah, so that's how I look at it, too. You know, if the project didn't do what I wanted it to or it didn't change my life in any way. It did because I learned all this stuff. And then No, exactly. And even if this game falls flat on its face, I'm going to be glad that I did it because of just how much I've learned from doing it. Yeah, and if you want to be a game developer, you need to make games or else you're yes. not a game developer. <laughs> so it's like, hey, I'm the thing I want to be. I just want to up my whatever. And so there's your show's tagline. If you want to be a game developer, make games. Yeah, that well, I started making movies because I read a quote by Stanley Kubrick that said, "If you want to be a filmmaker, pick up a camera." You know? Yeah, and no, exactly. That's what I did. You, you got to get your feet wet. Or that's an else important you're not thing. Go swimming. Yeah, if you've been in game dev for longer than a year and you haven't shipped a game of any kind, like you need to. Yeah. No, yes. for sure. And this will be the first game I I intend on actually selling for money because all the previous ones I've just put up for free. 
Uh, yeah, are you going to do Steam? I, I intend to. Uh, we'll see where money's at because of that $100 for dev, but I, I absolutely intend to, which will be fun uh, coming from Godot because you got to kind of do it manually. I would recommend, this is my first game, Nightmare Puppeteer, I've done on Steam. I would recommend everybody, if you're eventually going to go out to Steam, like make the game on Steam as soon as possible and just dig into their API because at first it is really scary and weird and complicated. But also, you'll see all the tools and cool shit they have for you to use in your game for free, and it'll give you ideas. So I go do it, like set it up, look at their API, because there's so many things in there, and it'll give you ideas for new games and ways you know you want to oh, leverage totally. their tools, like like their remote play together is something that they don't talk about that much, and people don't talk about. But you just turn it on, and then anybody that doesn't even own your game can join your game and control it like they own it. Oh, I see. That's cool. Yeah, up to eight people, I think. Maybe four or eight. But just stuff like that. And then they have integrated voice chat you can use. Of course, Workshop, which is file sharing built into your game. Like, So, yeah, it's going to give you a ton of ideas. So I'd say get in there and put a game out on Steam just to totally. learn all that. And like I, I'm, I'm gonna jump straight into the Steam API and just start learning a bunch of that after we do our um, initial itch.io release. Because I figure, hey, let, let's stagger releases. We also want to make mobile versions eventually because it's a, a fitting style for the game. Um, stagger the releases. We don't have to put a, a bunch of work on ourselves all for a, a dump at once. And this way, <laughs> you can just keep advertising the same game and be like, now it's on this. Yeah. So good luck with your with your current game and your new ones. I appreciate and that. Do you mind if I, I plug where we can? Oh no, yeah, found totally. Such? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can find updates on our Twitter. Uh, that's at uh, spacebasesoft, uh, as well as the the visual artist Ninth V and uh, uh, Luce, who makes all of the wonderful, crazy breakbeat in the the game. Uh, and we have a Discord going on. You can find that through the Twitter and. Please, we would love to have you come test our game. Cool. Well, thanks for being on the podcast again, Meryl. And yeah, good luck to you and your future projects. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. All right.